Section 12 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vin Fizz. Budge and Toddy by John Haberton. My Sunday dinner was unexceptional in point of quantity and quality, and a bottle of my brother-in-law's claret proved to be most excellent, yet a certain uneasiness of mind prevented my enjoying the meal as thoroughly as under other circumstances I might have done. My uneasiness came of a mingled sense of responsibility and ignorance. I felt that it was the proper thing for me to see that my nephews spent the day with some sense of the requirements and duties of the Sabbath, but how I was to bring it about I hardly knew. The boys were too small to have Bible lessons administered to them, and they were too lively to be kept quiet by any ordinary means. After a great deal of thought, I determined to consult the children themselves, and try to learn what their parents' custom had been. Budge, said I, what do you do Sundays when your papa and mamma are home? What do they read to you? What do they talk about? Oh, they swing us lots, said Budge with brightening eyes. And they takes us to get jacks, observed Toddy. Oh, yes, exclaimed Budge. Jack's in the pulpit, don't you know? Hmm. Yes, I do remember some such thing in my youthful days. They grow where there's plenty of mud, don't they? Yes, and there's a brook there, and ferns, and birch bark, and if you don't look out, you'll tumble into the brook when you go to get birch. And when we goes to Hawk's Nest Rock, piped Toddy, and Papa carries us up on his back when we gets tired. And he makes us whistles, said Budge. Budge, said I rather hastily enough, in the language of the poet, these earthly pleasures I resign. And I'm rather astonished that your Papa hasn't taught you to do likewise. Don't he ever read to you? Oh, yes, cried Budge, clapping his hands as a happy thought struck him. He gets down the Bible, the great big Bible, you know, and we all lay on the floor, and he reads us stories out of it. There's David and Noah, and when Christ was a little boy, and Joseph, and turned back Pharaoh's army, hallelujah. And what? Turned back Pharaoh's army, hallelujah, repeated Budge. Don't you know how Moses held out his cane over the Red Sea, and the water went way up one side and way up the other side, and all the Israelites went across? It's just the same thing as drown, old Pharaoh's army, hallelujah, don't you know? Budge, said I, I suspect you of having heard the Jubilee singers. Oh, and Papa and Mama sings us all those Jubilee songs. They swing low and, and roll Jordan and steal away and my way's cloudy and, and, and get on board chillings and lots. And, and you can sing us every one of them. And, and Papa takes us in the woods and makes us canes, said Toddy. Yes, said Budge, and where there's new houses built and he takes us up ladders. Uh, has he any way of putting an extension on the afternoon, I asked. I don't know what that is, said Budge, but he puts an India rubber blanket on the grass, and then we all lie down and make believe we're soldiers asleep. Only sometimes when we wake up, Papa stays asleep, and Mama won't let us wake him. I don't think that's very nice play. Well, I think Bible stories are nicer than anything else, don't you? Budge seemed somewhat in doubt. I think swinging is nicer, said he. Oh, oh, no, let's get some jacks. I'll tell you what, make us whistles and we can blow on them when we're going to get the jacks. Toddy, dear, wouldn't you like jacks and whistles? Yes, and swinging and birch and wants to go to Hawkeye's Rock, answered Toddy. Let's have Bible stories first, said I. 
The Lord mightn't like it if you didn't learn anything good today. Well, said Budge with a regulation religious matter of duty face, let's. I guess I like about Joseph best. Tell us about Blyeth, suggested Toddy. Oh, no, Todd, remonstrated Budge. Joseph's coat was just as bloody as Goliath's head was. Then Budge turned to me and explained that all Todd likes Goliath for is because when his head was cut off and it was all bloody. And then Toddy, the airy sprite whom his mother described as being irresistibly drawn to whatever was beautiful, Toddy glared upon me as a butcher's apprentice might stare at a doomed lamb and remarked, Blyeth's head was all bluggy and David's sword was all bluggy. Bluggy is everything. I hastily breathed a small prayer, opened the Bible, turned to the story of Joseph, and audibly condensed it as I read. Joseph was a good little boy whose papa loved him very dearly, but his brothers didn't like him, and they sold him to go to Egypt. And he was very smart and told the people what their dreams meant, and he got to be a great man. And his brothers went to Egypt to buy corn, and Joseph sold them some, and then he let them know who he was, and he sent them home to bring their papa to Egypt, and then they all lived there together. That's ain't it, remarked Toddy with the air of a man who felt himself to be unjustly treated. Is it, Budge? Oh, no, said Budge. You didn't read it a good bit. I'll tell you how it is. Once there was a little boy named Joseph, and he had eleven brothers, and it was awful, eleven brothers, and his papa gave him a new coat, and his brothers had nothing but their old jackets to wear, and one day he was carrying him their dinner, and they put him in a deep, dark hole, but they didn't put his nice new coat in. They killed a kid and dipped the coat, just like doing that to a nice new coat. They dipped it in the kid's blood and made it all bloody. All bluggy, echoed Toddy with ferocious emphasis. Budge continued, but there were some Ishmaelites coming along that way, and the awful eleven butters took them out of the deep, dark hold and sold them to the Ishmaelites, and they sold them way down in Egypt. And his poor old papa cried and cried because he thought a big lion ate Joseph up, but he wasn't ate up a bit. But there wasn't no post office, nor choo-choos, nor stages in Egypt, and there wasn't any telegraphs. So Joseph couldn't let his papa know where he was. And he got so smart and so good that the king of Egypt let him sell all the corn and take care of the money. And one day some men came to buy some corn, and Joseph looked at them, and there they was, his own brothers. And he scared them like everything. I'd have slapped him all if I'd been Joseph, but he just scared him, and then he let him know who he was, and he kissed him, and he didn't whip him or make him go without their breakfast or stand in a corner or none of them things, and then he sent him back for their papa, and when he saw his papa coming, he ran like everything and gave him a great big hug and a kiss. Joseph was too big to ask his papa if he'd brought him any candy, but he was awful glad to see him, and, and the king gave Joseph's papa a nice farm, and they all had real good times after that. And they did the coat in the blood and made it all bluggy, reiterated Toddy. Uncle Harry, said Budge, what do you think my papa would do if he thought I was all ate up by a lion? I guess he'd cry awful, don't you? Now tell us another story. Oh, I'll tell you. Read us about, about Blyeth, interrupted Toddy. You tell me about him, Toddy, said I. Why, said Toddy, Blyeth was a great big man and Dave was a great little man and Blyeth said come over here and I'll eat you up and Dave said I ain't free to you so Dave put five little stones in a sling and asked the Lord to help him and let the sling go bang into between Blyeth's eyes and knocked him down dead and Dave took Blyeth's sword and sorted Blyeth's head off and made it all bluggy and Blyeth run away 
This short narration was accompanied by more spirit and unexpected gestures than Mr. Goff ever put into a long lecture. I don't like about Goliath at all, remarked Budge. I'd like to hear about Ferris. Who? Ferris, don't you know him? Never heard of him, Budge. Why, exclaimed Budge, didn't you have no papa when you was a little boy? Yes, but he never told me about anyone named Ferris. There's no such person named in Anthon's classical dictionary either. What sort of a man was he? Why, once there was a man, and his name was Ferris. Authoress, and he went about fighting for kings, and when any king got afraid of anybody, he wouldn't fight for him no more, and one day he couldn't find no kings that wasn't afraid of nobody, and the people told him the Lord was the biggest king in the world, and he wasn't afraid of nobody or nothing, and he asked them where he could find the Lord, and they said he was way up in heaven, so nobody could see him but the angels, but he liked folks to work for him instead of fight, so Ferris wanted to know what kind of work he could do, and the people said there was a river not far off, where there wasn't no ferry boats cause the river runs so fast and they guessed if he'd carry folks across the lord would like it so ferris went there and he caught him a good strong cane and whenever anybody wanted to go across the river he'd carry him on his back one night he was sitting in his little house by the fire and smoking his pipe and reading the paper and was raining and blowing and hailing and storming and he was so glad there wasn't anybody wanting to go across the river when he heard somebody call one Ferris, and he looked out the window, but he couldn't see nobody, so he sat down, and somebody called Ferris again, and he opened the door again, and there was a little bit of a boy about as big as Toddy, and Ferris said, Hello, young fellow, does your mother know you're out? And the little boy said, I want to go across the river. Well, says Ferris, you're a mighty little fellow to be traveling alone, but hop up. So the little boy jumped up on Ferris's back, and Ferris walked into the water, Oh, my, wasn't it cold, and every step he took, that little boy got heavier, so Ferris nearly tumbled down, and they liked to both get drowned, and when they got across the river, Ferris said, well, you are the heaviest small fry I ever carried, and he turned around to look at him, and twasn't a little boy at all, twas a big man, twas Christ, and Christ said, Ferris, I heard you was trying to work for me, so I thought I'd come down and see you and not let you know who I was, and now you shall have a new name, and you shall be called Christophorus, because that meant Christ Carrier, and everybody called him Christophorus after that, and when he died, they all called him Saint Christopher, because Saint is what they called good people when they're dead. Budge himself had the face of a rapt saint as he told the story, but my contemplation of his countenance was suddenly arrested by Toddy, who, disapproving of the unexciting nature of his brother's recital, had strayed into the garden, investigated a hornet's nest, been stung, and set up a piercing shriek. He ran into me, and as I hastily picked him up, he sobbed, "'Want to be walked one, Toddy, one boy day?' I rocked him violently and petted him tenderly, but again he sobbed, One toddy, one boy day. What does the child mean? I exclaimed. He wants you to sing him about Charlie Boy one day, said Budge. He always wants Mama to sing that when he's hurt, and then he stops crying. I don't know it, said I. Won't roll Jordan do, toddy? I'll tell you how it goes, said Budge, and forthwith the youth sang the following song, a line at a time. I following him in words and air. Where is my little bastic gone? Said Charlie Boy one day. I guess some little boy or girl has taken it away. And Kitty too, where is she gone? Oh dear, what shall I do? 
I wish I could my bastic find, and little Kitty, too. I go to Mama's room and look. Perhaps she may be there, for Kitty likes to take a nap in Mama's easy chair. Oh, Mama, Mama, come and look. See what a little heap. Here's Kitty in the bastic there, and cuddle down to sleep. Where the applicability of this poem to my nephew's peculiar trouble appeared, I could not see, but as I finished it, his sobs gave place to a sigh of relief. Toddy, said I, do you love your Uncle Harry? Yes, I do love you. Then tell me how that ridiculous song comforts you. Makes me feel good and all nicey, replied Toddy. Wouldn't you feel just as good if I sang Plunged in a Gulf of Dark Despair? No, I don't like dark despairs. If a dark despair done anything to me, I'd knock it right down dead. With this extremely lucid remark, our conversation on this particular subject ended. But I wondered, during a few uneasy moments, whether the temporary mental aberration which had once afflicted Helen's grandfather and mine was not reappearing in this, his youngest descendant. My wondering was cut short by Budge, who remarked in a confident tone, now, Uncle Harry, we'll have the whistles, I guess. I acted upon the suggestion and led the way to the woods. I had not had occasion to seek a hickory sapling before for years, not since the war. In fact, when I learned how hot a fire small hickory sticks would make, I had not sought wood for whistles since, gracious, nearly a quarter of a century ago. The dissimilar associations called up by these recollections threatened to put me in a frame of mind which might have resulted in a bad poem had not my nephews kept up a lively succession of questions such as no one but children can ask. The whistles completed, I was marched with music to the place where the jacks grew. It was just such a place as boys instinctively delight in, low, damp, and boggy, with a brook hiding treacherously away under overhanging ferns and grasses. The children knew by sight the plant which bore the jacks, and every discovery was announced by a piercing shriek of delight. At first I looked hurriedly towards the brook as each yell clove the air, but as I became accustomed to it, my attention was diverted by some exquisite ferns. Suddenly, however, a succession of shrieks announced that something was wrong, and across a large fern I saw a small face in a great deal of agony. Budge was hurrying to the relief of his brother, and was soon as deeply embedded as Toddy was in the rich black mud at the bottom of the brook. I dashed to the rescue, stood astride the brook, and offered a hand to each boy, when a treacherous tuft of grass gave way, and with a glorious splash I went in myself. This accident turned Toddy's sorrow to laughter, but I can't say I made light of my misfortune on that account. To fall into clean water is not pleasant, even when one is trout fishing, but to be clad in white pants and suddenly drop nearly knee-deep in the lap of Mother Earth is quite a different thing. I hastily picked up the children and threw them upon the bank, and then wrathfully strode out myself and tried to shake myself as I have seen a Newfoundland dog do. The shake was not a success. It caused my trouser leg to flap dismally about my ankles and sent the streams of loathsome ooze trickling down into my shoes. My hat of drab felt had fallen off by the brookside and been plentifully splattered as I got out. I looked at my youngest nephew with speechless indignation. Uncle Harry, said Budge, "'twas real good of the Lord to let you be with us, else Toddy might have been drowned." Yes, said I, and I shouldn't have much. Ockin' Hawwee, cried Toddy, running impetuously toward me, pulling me down and patting my cheek with his muddy black hand. I loves you for taking me out to the water. I accept your apologies, said I, but let's hurry home. 
there was but one residence to pass, and that, thank fortune, was so densely screened by shrubbery that the inmates could not see the road. To be sure, we were on a favorite driving road, but we could reach home in five minutes, and we might dodge into the woods if we heard a carriage coming. Ah, there came a carriage already, and we, was there ever a sorrier-looking group. There were ladies in the carriage, too. Could it be? Of course it was. Did the evil spirit which guided these children always send an attendant for Miss Mayton before he began operations? There she was, anyway, cool, neat, dainty, trying to look collected, but severely flushed by the attempt. It was of no use to drop my eyes, for she had already recognized me, so I turned to her face, which I think must have been just the one, unless more defiant, that I carried into two or three cavalry charges. "'You seem to be having a real good time together,' said she, with a conventional smile as the carriage passed. "'Remember, you're all going to call on me tomorrow afternoon.'" End of Budge and Toddy Recording by Vin Fizz